return guest, Justin McDonough, or as I always remember you, uh, Donna. <laughs> welcome, That'd welcome back. Be me. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been a long time since we did. Back when you were on, it was you and Gerald together, and we just did, well, actually, we recorded video, but didn't publish it. We So it was like the audio only days. Yeah, um, so yeah. That was at camera camp too, wasn't it? Exactly. Camera yeah, camp? The, yeah. The first one, the first one I was at anyway. I don't know if it was the yeah, first of all. That was, I think it was the very first. Yeah. In Montana. Yeah, there. It was, that was a, that was a good time. So if anyone get, wants to get up to speed on things we've talked about years ago, um, you can go back and listen to that old episode, but I think this one would be a little bit more relevant. I'm interested to know how things have changed since then. <laughs> Yeah, I think that was the era, and this has been on my mind a lot lately. Like this, that was the beginning of what I consider like the modern video camera era, which basically is 10-bit. 10-bit is the big like every now it's the equalizer, right? Now that we've got 10-bit yeah. and everything, all the cameras are good. But yeah. just before that camera camp, we were in this place where it's like, oh well, you know, this Sony has decent HLG support. And a higher bit rate, so you can use these LUTs on it. And but if you're shooting Canon, it's got the. I mean, it was just fighting over like these little scraps of eight bit quality, where like none of the cameras really, like looking in retrospect, none of them looked that good. Like they really did fall apart as you graded them. Yeah. Um, but we were like, you know, fighting for every inch of image quality, and now yeah. we, you know everything looks good. It's it's really hard as someone who reviews cameras now to like to separate between things because you could you could literally just grab whatever's the most recent and just be like this is fine like whatever yeah. whatever's in your budget <laughs> like whatever be. works for you like do you already have lenses like probably just go with that like it's it makes it it makes it tough whereas like I feel like in that era which is kind of what I started on YouTube it was it was much easier to make videos about like you said those kind of little nitpicky things because they did make a difference in people's workflow and, and, and what made sense to recommend to people and that kind of stuff. It's almost, they're almost all too good now. Yes. A hundred percent. Well, and that's what we're going to get into today is, uh, you know, dig through your camera bag a bit. Um, you know, I'll talk a bit about what I've been using and, uh, and also just like tech in general, like, you know, I, I, I sent you some notes before this, but any, anything you've been excited about, feel free to jump into it. Um, but for a little background before, uh, anybody that hasn't seen your channel before, what's your what's your life story how did you get where you are as a you know creative tech youtuber my life story well i won't go too <laughs> far back but i was a i was a music producer uh for a long time i have all, all my like formal schooling and stuff like that is in music and and in uh, audio recording and that kind of stuff. And then one day I picked up a camera and was like, I'm going to do the Casey Neistat vlogging thing. That was just like something that I needed to do outside of what had become work, basically, you know, like the music side of things. And so then I got into YouTube and I think I'm just nerdy. And it started to seep into the videos a little bit. So I was doing these vlogs. Like it was like, come, come with me to Ikea or whatever. And you know, that kind of stuff. But then eventually it was like, I bought this new camera and I bought this new lens and like, let's talk about it and like why it's better than what I had before. And it just started to kind of all bleed into 
you know, talking about the tech behind it and talking about the tools behind it and talking about the techniques and stuff. And so now I am probably more than 95% talking about photography, videography, how to make better videos, how to take better photos, uh, and the gear associated with it, trying to give as, as much of the stuff that I've learned over the last seven years as I possibly can to the people who watch my videos. Yeah, I'm glad we kind of ended up in a place where we can talk about uh, things other than ourselves. In, like when it was like vlogging, like here's my day. Yeah. That's so much more stressful for me. Like I don't really want to need to like, I don't want my life to be so need to be so entertaining that other people will sit down and watch it for a while. I like yeah. that products provide it. Like, look, I'll talk about the thing. This isn't about me. It's about the thing that you may want to spend money on or that might help you, you know, create cooler stuff or whatever. Uh, so yeah, yeah I, you know, I'm kind of in the same boat. Like we, we cover a lot of the same products too. So it's, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of overlap, but, um, I mean, that musical background is also super helpful because it's like, it, it is another genre of creative tech and like it relies on technology. You have to be creative for it. And I find the more anybody has experience across multiple fields, you know, kind of that full stack creator idea, it can really help each inform the other ones, right? Like if you only pursue purely photography as an example it's going to hurt so much more when you try to dip a toe into video so um yeah. i think you know even if you are all about one like let's say you're a music you're strictly a musician i think the, like it's so valuable to also understand like how do you make a cool video of yourself right like how do you do this yeah for the internet so um, yeah and vice all, versa too like that that yeah. works once you learn the video side of things it'll improve your music production too or your recording right. or whatever the other thing was too so it's cool to expand your horizons a little bit and, and get into more things well so let's talk a bit about gear that we are using at the moment and this isn't a like i always take the approach of like nothing is a loyalty test uh you know if anybody is feels emotional about a brand it's a boring conversation. So, you know, no pressure to, to say you only like one camera or one company. I'm sure we all use a few, but like what has been kind of carrying you for the last year or two, um, starting with like photography cameras, like when you are going out to take a picture, um, what do most of those photos get taken on? Like, let's say you open up Lightroom or ca what capture actually we should talk about software. I'm Whatever a capture you one use. guy. Yeah. Capture one. There we go. Um, <laughs> yeah. what, what will be like the most used camera in your catalog for the, the last year? Probably the, the Sony Alpha One. That's the one that's like in my camera bag. I take it home from, from my office every night and I bring it back to my office every morning, even though I probably won't use it. Like it's the, it's the one that stays in the bag and is ready to take a photo of, you know, if there's a crazy full moon or something like that, or if I'm going on a walk in the morning and want to catch the sunrise, like it's the one that stays on me all the time. And I bought it purposely to be my like photography camera kind of thing. And is it, does it cross over to video too? I mean, we'll get to your video cameras, but uh, it does. It, 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 it is both. Yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely will do both. And that was one of the reasons why I got that instead of at the time, I guess it would have been the a7R4 
but mm. I had I had tested out some of the video features on the A7R4 and was kind of like I think the I think the A1 will do a better job if in a pinch I'm like okay I need to I need to grab some video on it the A1 video is fantastic I also have the option to shoot 8K which I don't very often but I do use in in very specific situations like if I want a top down shot that I can punch in four times on or something for for a 1080 shot, then like it it's happens. cool to have, but, uh, um, but yeah, it, it definitely is like a, a great kind of video B cam and my main photo a cam kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. My, um, you know, I don't, I don't have an A1, but my good friend in real life, Jason Ang, so he lives in the same city as me. So I see how he shoots. And we get to talk about gear experience a lot. He has the A1 as well. So that's my most direct compare, uh, experience with it. And, it, do you remember what year it came out? Because it's not a new camera anymore. Like this has been around for a little while. Like it's not. It, it's not. It doesn't. It's not the most recent in Sony's catalog. Yeah. But the way I think about it is that it it has just it was built to hold up for as long as possible. Because even yeah. now with the like Sony has released so much since the A one came out, it still holds its own as the best in a few categories, you know, like it, yeah. it, it was, it was designed to be, let's throw everything at the wall. And if you buy this camera, you can feel confident that it's not going to feel old for a long time. And it has completely not started to, to feel old yet. It just still is like one of the, you know, like we can talk about cameras in terms of like best value, like best for the dollar or best for a certain category, but it's just sort of the, like, no, it's like spend all the money and make it as good as you can make anything. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's totally the idea with, with the A1 is, I think it's got to be three, two or three years old now, which like in terms of Googling it now. Sony's camera lineup is like ancient basically at <laughs> exactly, this point. Exactly. Yeah. So the uh, very beginning of 2021, January. Okay, cool. So we're coming up on three years then. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's not um, old, It's but it's yeah. like Sony has released a lot in that time and, and even made totally. some pretty significant changes. Yeah. And they've, I guess like we're probably due then. Cause that seems to be like each, each one of Sony's cameras kind of has like a two lately anyway, kind of has like a two or maybe three year kind of cycle. It seems before you get the, the Mark two or the Mark, whatever they're on kind of thing. Right. So I'm interested to see what'll happen, but it is, it does stand up and they've, I think if, if you were to look at it, it's probably received the most firmware updates and it's still mm. yet to get one that they just promised coming up next year. So right. it's going to get another Heard firmware update in March or whatever it is that they announced at, uh, in New York there at creative space. Does and, anything uh, share the same sensor as the a one? Like, I, I don't think seems, so. I think it's like the only one that has that, right? Yeah. Cause it's the, it's the 50 megapixel stacked sensor. And I don't think they have, I don't think anything else Maybe the R5 has a stack sensor on it, but, and it, that no, was kind of the so, thing yeah. that drew me to it. Um, they sent me one out to, as a loner with the, cause they had just released the 50 millimeter one, two as well. And so they sent me both of these things and both of these, they, they both cost more than my vehicle at the time. Uh, and I made a whole video about like how, like, okay, this is a ridiculous setup and I will never own, I'm probably never going to get into this, you know, like as here's far a as, review like, comparing just... my car to my camera, <laughs> which is better. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. The like backup cam, <laughs> which, which is more useful for me getting yeah. to from A to B or my, uh, this new camera. Um, but yeah. And in that video, the funny thing is that I said, 
I said, I will never buy this camera. This doesn't make sense for me as a YouTube creator, as the way that I treat photography and stuff like that. And I couldn't, I couldn't get it out of my mind. Like it, it left an impression with me. And I don't know if it was because I was also shooting with the 51 two at the time, but something about the photos that were coming out of it were, they just stood out against all the other ones. And so then uh, probably a year later, I was like going to start taking landscape photography more, more seriously. I was living in Alberta at the time. So I was traveling to the Rockies pretty, pretty regularly. And I was like, I want my, my images to just be that next level up. And I got it. And then of course I I moved away from Alberta. Uh, but it's still like, I, there's something about the, the images that come off of that sensor that just, they wow me comparatively to like, I have two or three other Sony cameras and I can, I can tell a difference. And I mean, maybe it's all, maybe I'm making it all up in my head because I paid so much money for it. I'm internally making it worth it but, but uh, you, i don't you know, know what there's something also to that like it feels different when you shoot it and you're excited about yeah. it even mm. if technically it's comparable or isn't making a huge difference like if you feel different the photos can actually be turning out different um, yeah but what well let's cross this over into video right away because obviously all of this interacts um what do you use to shoot your standard youtube videos what camera seen the most video use lately yeah, my my FX3 is is my go-to for video. That's what we're we're looking at right now. Um and I will I will go out of my way to use this camera to shoot my videos even if I've like if I have other cameras already in my bag, like I've got an A7 IV too that kind of floats between photo and video when I need it. The flip screen is kind of a a big deal for me, so sometimes the A1 doesn't isn't going to cut it. Um right. But I will, if, if I know I'm going to shoot something, I will go out of my way to make sure that my, my FX3 is ready to go. I had forgotten that about the A1, that it doesn't, it has the older, like how long Sony didn't have the full flip screen. It really went for a yeah. while. Yeah. And it's just the like up and down. So yeah. and, well, you can't, and now they have the best flip screen. It's like yeah. they started yeah. off having the most restricted, but in a few years they've gone to having like the most versatile in the A7R5. Right. That's the yeah. very, yeah. and the new, one. the a nine three, uh, has yeah, the new right. one too. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, okay. So, so the, the two things that I, I would say hold me back with like the a one and what, what I don't love about it and the time I've spent using it, the flip screen, I forgot about it, but also the, um, <laughs> the file size and speed, like the <laughs> if you turn up the frame rates, um, first of all, the files are just really large for a 50 megapixel camera. Like we kind of forget that not every compression ratio is created the same. So compared to my Canon, I mean, the f files are like double for yeah. very similar megapixel, which is strange. And, you know, it does, doesn't, it's not a downside in terms of what the images look like. They look, you know, they look pretty comparable between the two, but yeah. the storage is like, oh man, I'm filling cards real fast using the A1. But, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, that's I, true. I, I, it I definitely, is. I've, I've, I, I'm not sure what, what, causes that and i know that you've got a couple of different compression options in there i think when i got it i set it up to the like lossless compression which i think may have been new on that camera as well and then i just i haven't thought about it since i just kind of was ready to ready to take the hit on the yeah. on buying sure, ssds yeah, yeah. and whatever I mean, yeah that's that's like totally a valid way of approaching is just buy enough stuff that it, you're not thinking about it right just like have yeah. the storage available um mm -hmm. something i've have you ever gone into testing the like lossless versus lossy compression in these cameras? Cause a lot of them offer it, 
Um, it has a pretty big impact on the file size, but I don't see many in-depth videos helping people choose. I think that the general consensus, because I, I feel like when I bought the camera, I did some looking into that and uh, and maybe shot a couple of tests myself and just found that there was like, like the difference wasn't enough to make a video about almost, you know, like you, you almost right. want to like, you want some drama or you want, <laughs> you want something to talk about sure, there. Right, and it was yeah. kind of like, well, they're both fine. Like it's, <laughs> yeah. I think the, the, the one thing that I noticed, especially cause I was using Lightroom at the time is that the lossless compression, um, was a little harder for it to to read or whatever. Like, it's kind of like, okay, I mean, right. thinking of, thinking of video, you know, you shoot ProRes because it's easier on the computer, but you get the mm -hmm. larger file sizes or whatever. It's kind of like that, like the, the different types of, uh, or sorry. And then, and then you would shoot like H.265 to save space, but it right, would be harder on slower. the computer. Yeah, yeah. And so it's, I feel like it's kind of like that. Uh, but uh, yeah, honestly, for, from a quality standpoint, I didn't, I don't think I've ever, played around with it enough to find a difference. I pursue the opposite uh, strategy of like, I'm usually shooting compressed on like on every camera, even for, I don't know, I've only turned it up when it's like, okay, this is a pretty important commercial job. And like, this is going to get printed big. So I just don't want to take any chances that secretly there's some visual difference I'm not perceiving. But yeah. when I've looked at them side by side, like I cannot find a quality difference, you know, like in, even when it comes to a lot of the like compression that could be visible, same as, uh, things like, you know, long gop versus all eye when it comes to video, mm -hmm. a lot of this is like micro compression. It's not like macro blocking. It's not stuff that you're going to see from any distance. It's only like really like the behavior of fine details or like you, it's things that you see when you really zoom in. It's not the big picture things that like dynamic range or the amount of color that's adjustable. Like the, the average person's reception of your photo will be very similar, uh, yeah. regarding, regardless of which of those compression things you take. Like, obviously a bigger decision is shooting in JPEG versus raw. Like it's not, even, you know, it's not even close. Any type of raw does pretty well, uh, yeah. you know, all in all. Yeah, so. I think all of the all of the companies have done a nice job with their compression styles. Like if yeah. you know, like you said, like I feel like we're we're getting nitpicky there, and it's more. I feel like it's more about uh, computer processing and file sizes than it is about quality at that point. Um, I mean, just the fact that they're they're allowed to call it lossless compression. Mm -hmm. kind of sold me like i mean maybe that's maybe that's a marketing gimmick or whatever like maybe there is some kind of loss in quality in the compression but i don't know that that was enough for me and it. and i haven't yeah. yeah i haven't had any problems with any files ever so yeah and i mean even the ability to as long to me it's like as long as like i can do normal highlight recovery and normal white balance adjustments and there's no reduction in in quality in those tight in those adjustments i'm like okay good enough it's gonna it's gonna work yeah. for me uh yeah, in the video absolutely. world okay we, we got to the fx3 which i feel like has kind of become the de facto youtube camera for the last few years like that in the a7 IV, maybe like sony according to what i see on like petapixel they don't seem to have taken over in terms of raw number of sales but they definitely 
just seem to dominate the creator space. Um, you know, most people, most people on this podcast are probably using Sony's basically. Yeah. Um, I still feel like the FX three, I'm always surprised how it is missing certain key features. Cause like, I don't use it regularly and I look at, yeah. I look at a photo of it and I'm like, wow, what a beautiful compact cinema camera. Yeah. Then I remind myself what some of the specific specs are of like no shutter angle, uh, I think there's certain like visualization tools that are missing from it. And maybe you can remind me anything else that's missing that is like really standard on cinema cameras. I'm like, this is such a weird, this is such a weird hybrid that it is yeah. meant to be a video camera and still missing some key stuff. Yeah. I mean, shutter angle is kind of a, what seems like a big and simple one kind of thing. Like it should be, yeah. it should realistically, like it's doing so much math in there. It should be able to do that one more you know, make sure it's double the, double the frame rate or, or yeah. Yeah. It's doing um, harder things than shuttering. Yeah. Than calculating like, but I think that's also, I, I mean, I don't know why they made that trade off, but I also think that Sony's really good at figuring out what their users actually need and prioritizing, mm -hmm. giving us the more important things, I guess. Like it's, it, it is missing some things that I'm, I'm sure some people think are important, but, uh, but I feel like they're also to, to some extent, those are the things that you can, you can kind of live without and they've given us other things maybe in their place. I don't know if that's the case, uh, but that's the way that I've always kind of felt about Sony. Anytime I try other cameras and stuff, the other cameras might have more features, but then they feel like they're kind of they're kind of behind in maybe some more foundational stuff um, with, I mean, the, the, the more recent exception is that I, I have been shooting with the Panasonic uh, S52X lately and it's mm -hmm. been, it's been really solid and has some of those extra features. The, the 6k open gate is really nice. Like I just, I don't even think about framing for vertical anymore. I just shoot whatever looks good on screen and it usually can go to uh, both horizontal and vertical. Uh, it's got the shutter angle. It's got, uh, waveforms, vector scope, if you need it. Um, and like all of those things I have lived without and been completely fine, but they are really nice touches and it doesn't feel like it's like missing a whole lot. And um, it's like 20 or 30% cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's significantly less expensive. So that yeah. makes it a lot more approachable for, for someone who doesn't want to dive into an FX three, which is like, yeah. I think a little bit intimidating for, for people to, if they're just starting out, especially. Well, I wanted to ask you about Lumix a bit too, because we've both been, we've both been using it lately. We both put videos about it recently and to disclaim that for a second, because th this is not sponsored by Lumix, but those were, so we did both like work with Lumix recently, um, yeah. just, you know, for clarity. And that so, so sometimes that's also almost complicated, you know, me talking about how much I am using Lumix this year, because they, they were sort of like generous with their, both their loaner program is like long-term loans and then also sponsoring videos, which isn't actually to, you know, as much as people claim in the comments, like, oh, you're, you, this video is bought, this review is bought off by whatever company. Not many camera companies are sponsoring videos actually. And like, we're always super yeah. clear when it is. And there's a difference between a review and that. So, you know, yeah. with that out of the way, it's like at the same time, having had these cameras around, I'm like, I'm leaning on them a lot and I'm comparing it to the, the world of Canon, which is what that's my other setups. And there's just much more flexible options from Lumix than Canon. 
I still do think so. I don't I don't have a collection of Sony gear right now, but I do think actually Sony is the best hybrid system, and that's why so many people are moving towards it. Like if you're shooting both photos and videos, you'll have the best crossover experience. Where like you 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 know there's there's very very few compromises. Um, on Lumix, you're not currently they don't have a best of class of either, right? Like there isn't none of their video cameras is the best in its category. None of their photo cameras are the best in its category. They, but mm -hmm. what they do very well is this like fluidity of moving between them and like, you know, value for the dollar that you're going to spend and some uh, ease of use stuff in terms of the lens selection. Whereas like on the Canon side, it's like, well, you know, I think the C70 is the best. Yeah, I, you know, I prefer it to the FX6 or FX9. You know, I think, I think Canon has the best of that like high mid range video camera. And then I yeah. think, you know, the best uh, pro photo cameras, you know, it might, it might actually be Sony right now. Um, and Lumix is this interesting, like kind of flowing in between them. And then there's Fuji over there doing their, you know, different, <laughs> doing something different too. Um, yeah. so I don't know. Yeah. Like I, I, how has it been compare, you know, just comparing Sony to, to Lumix really? It's, it's been cool. I mean, the, the, the funny thing I think between those two is that they're, it wasn't that it didn't feel like as big of a jump as I thought it was going to be. You know, like I, I reviewed, what was it? The Canon R5 a couple of years ago. And that felt like it felt like it took me a while to figure out what the heck was going on and like how to read the menus and how to find what I needed and how to understand the kind of languaging that they were using to give me what I wanted. Um, but whereas with the, with the Lumix, with the S5-2X, I kind of just hopped into it. I slapped a lens on it and it felt, it felt kind of second nature almost like it, it felt similar enough to the Sony's that, that I had no problem with it. Now, I don't know if that's just, if that should just be a credit to Lumix for doing a great job at like setting it up in a, in a very user-friendly way. And actually I think both of us uh, made a comment about that in, in our Lumix videos about them having like a nice button layout and a nice, like it was, it's fairly user-friendly. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been like well, almost that, interchangeable. Cause like, I do think that is something they do better than Sony. Um, it, especially if you're doing a tutorial video, something that's always bothered me about Sony. It's like, here's the camera and here's the crazy customization that I did to get it working just for me. And everybody's yeah. going to set it up differently. So nobody, no two Sony's are, customized in the same way and Lumix and Canon and, and others, everyone, this is the weakness of Sony. I feel like is like, you don't need to go as far in the customization and you, you can leave the presets where they are and it still is very functional. So, um, I, th yeah. I think Lumix is, is doing a really good job of that. It's probably why it's easy I, to pick it up. I can totally agree with that. I can't hand my Sony cameras to somebody else and expect them to be able to know how to use them because everything yeah. is, is all over the place. And my biggest one is that I always customize the, uh, the video record button because you can Ooh. set it to, <laughs> yeah. to whatever sure. else you want yeah, kind right. of thing. And you can use the shutter. So I set the shutter up to start video recording and so then I hand it to somebody else and they keep trying to hit the, hit the video record button and it brings up like the guides or something like that. And do you, it just do you use the lens the button? I've always found that like, I couldn't bring myself to assign that lens button to anything. Nope. Never. It's like the weirdest because it's the weird. And also I think Canon's mistake on the lens dial. I don't use that either. Like both of these yeah. like huge interface items that don't get used much. 
Yeah, I think the issue with that and the and the reason that I didn't to start with is because not all of my lens has had a button on them. And so as soon as you as soon as you assign something to it assuming that you're going to have it and then one of your lenses doesn't have that Right. Um, you're you're missing a function basically, or you have to go digging in a in a menu, and especially if you're not used to it. I think nowadays I could probably get away with it because I've got the uh, all of my lenses are higher end lenses and that kind of stuff, and they all do have buttons on it. But uh, but yeah, I've never really I've never really gotten into that. I barely even use the autofocus manual focus toggle on it. I have a button set to that on the back of the camera. So you know one one other thing that just while I was thinking of it I was just looking up when the Canon R5 was released and it was a little earlier so July 2020 and it they're not directly comparable the A1 is a better it's more pre, like higher end camera than the than the R5 but Canon also has a few less options at the moment but it, so yeah this is July 2020 one thing i like about Canon is the slightly slower release cycle <laughs> because that feeling yeah. of like oh i just bought the best of the best and it's going to last the A1 is kind of the exception in Sony's lineup to me where it's like, it keeps feeling like that, you know, it's been a while and it still feels great. A lot of the other Sony's like, if you, you know, if you got an a seven four, it can really feel like you're missing out on some of the features they added to the a seven R five or, you know, they, this is like kind of always the, the, that quick cycle of Sony. It's like, it's gotten to them to where they are. That hunger has led them to this state of being second in the industry, but you know, at the cost of like, sometimes you can feel like you're always one step behind. Yeah, it also feels like Sony has a lot of tiers to their release lineup too. Like we've got the the A1, the A9, the SR and then the 7. So that's like right. five different full frame and that's just full frame in the like professional photography. Then you've got the FX line, then you've got the ZV yeah. line. Oh, it's crazy. It's it's pretty wild. So then like you kind of are always hearing about something, which is probably really great for their marketing because they never go out of like out of your mind. But as I think especially A1 users for, for a while there, it was like the A1 came out and the A7 IV came out and it had focus breathing and it was just this like it, it felt like a bit of a, a stab yeah. in the back. <laughs> yeah, totally. I know Gerald made a big deal about it for a long time, and uh, I mean, but that's supposed to be I think supposed reason, to be coming yeah. in in uh, right. 2024 in that firmware update. So yeah. they're listening. It just takes a while, I think, to get around to giving us what we want. Well, before we move on to computers, um, what, what about lenses? Like, what what are your kind of go to three lenses that sit on your camera most of the time? I'm I'm a, a Zoom trilogy kind of guy so i've got the sure. the g master version 2 uh 16 to 35 24 to 70 and 70 to 200 are kind of like if i don't know what i'm going to be doing that weekend or whenever i'm going out shooting or i don't know what i'm going to need i just like grab those throw them in there or in my bag uh, I have the two times teleconverter too. So if I really need something longer, uh, which happens a lot on Vancouver Island, there's lots of beautiful birds and stuff out here. So I can slap that on the 70 to 200. And uh, um, so those are kind of my go-to three. Uh, but my, and my studio lens, the one that I'm filming on now is the 35 uh, G Master one four, right. I guess it is. Yeah. And that, I love that lens. I put off buying it for a long time and was using the 35 one eight. 
uh, and I got it as a loner for a bit and was trying it out. And uh, I saw, I was doing like, trying to figure out like my, my studio setup and was doing some color grading and I was flipping back and forth between a shot on the 3518 and the 3514. And I was just like, oh my goodness, I need to, <laughs> I need to buy yeah. this lens. And it was right after they had done the, the firmware update that gave the FX3 breathing compensation, which made the the biggest difference for me. And I think was one of the reasons I didn't buy the 3514 earlier because um, it has absolutely horrendous breathing. <laughs> Such a strange thing about Sony lenses that they, that they all have, because they're so technically perfect in other ways. And that there's yeah. this one attribute where like they want to be video based, right? Like Sony cares about video yeah. a lot. And this is yeah. like one side, it, it, it actually, you know, it's, it's another example of how we were just saying every camera company has a great set of options right now, but they still mm -hmm. have those trade-offs. They're still all, or those hairs to slice. Yeah. Um, you know, so you can Absolutely. always find something, but yeah. And I wonder, I wonder how much they ch pick and choose, you know, or, or how much research they do into like, okay, people are going to be willing to deal with focus breathing if we can give them X, Y, and Z mm -hmm. in its place kind of thing. Like if that's the trade-off and like every company seems to make different, different trade-offs. And so yeah. I think one of the reasons why I've stuck with kind of Sony as my main camera for so long is because they've made the they've made the trade-offs that made the most sense for me and the way that I shoot. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I, I wonder, I want to know, I want to be a fly on the wall in those meetings when they're deciding what goes in and what doesn't. I just want another uh, quick shout out to Sony lenses of offering the 20 to, seven, 20 to 70 millimeter uh, yeah. option out there, which like makes me want a Sony <laughs> just for that. I, the, there's the kit lens on the Lumix is 20 to 60 and a varial aperture, which like, I don't generally trust variable aperture lenses, but it's 3.5 to 5.6. So it's actually a kind of fast. And yeah. I'm just like, this is the right default focal range, like a little wider than 24. And I don't, you know, and 70, great. Like I, I would use that all the time. So uh, I'm, I'm jealous of, of Sony having that available. Um, yeah. Like and then yeah. if you, if, if you're not into the 20 to 70 from Sony, uh, Tamron makes the 17 to 50 F4 for Sony, which right. is also Crazy. actually, do they, no, Tamron doesn't make lenses for Lumix, do they? I don't know if no. they, yeah, I haven't seen L now. No, I think that's Tamron. Sigma only. Right. Anyway. And the thing uh, that, but yeah. the, the thing that I'm liking about L mounts is that there's a lot of smaller options as well. Canon right now, everything's big, like physically yeah. large. Sony is in between. They have they have some small options. I really appreciate that. A lot of the like really good lenses are also quite large. Um, but they're in in Lumix. It's like there's a lot of very good lenses that are quite small, and they're not they're not quite as good as the Sony's. But I'm lately I've just been willing to make that trade off. I'm like you know what I want a smaller bag. <laughs> yeah, I think but, one of um, my favorite things about the uh, the only like S they call it S Pro I think it is the that that line of lens that I have on me is the uh, the sixteen to thirty five I have that one out on lawn right now and the focus clutch is kind of a I absolutely love it like instead of having a manual focus autofocus toggle the focus clutch sure. and then the the click at the end so it feels a little bit more like like a, a linear focus manual focus lens. Like I've been, I've been loving that. I would love to see more lenses with that functionality on it as well. 
Well, let's get into the tech universe a little bit more. Um, okay. what, what computer are you editing all these photos and videos on most of the time? Uh, I have a M1 Max MacBook Pro. Nice. Uh, so I've, I've managed to, to hold off, which I'm not usually very good at, but, uh, I'm trying to practice what I preach. I, I have managed to hold off on the last couple of cycles of, of upgrading that. Um, and it still works fantastic, which is, is course, usually yeah. the, I mean, yeah. The thing I'm repeating every like... week here is the, uh, once you're into the M1 world, like you're fine, you know, especially if you beefed it up a little bit. I think the only M1 people that might want to upgrade is like, if you had a base, like a, just an M1, not a pro or a max and you're hitting yeah. the limits on it, like, yeah, go ahead. Like that's, you're going to, you're going to see a bit of a bump with the M3, but, yeah. um, you know, you don't have to, although what I talked about a lot in the last episode was like the biggest jump. Did you, did you look at into any of the, the results of like M1 max compared to M3 max? Uh, just a little bit. Cause it, uh, it's significant. Like the, the, the M1 to the M3, meh, like not, not that exciting, but like, it's like 40%, 50% gains, like from the, from the M2 max to the M3 max, it was actually pretty insane, which is, it's like weird. It wasn't the whole lineup jump forward, just the top yeah. of the line, like had this big, Oh, leap. interesting. Um, uh, but you know, not that's crazy. Uh, anything, yeah. But, um, it's, I, I wanted so badly to pull the trigger when they announced the M3 Max, uh, just because it was like, it seemed cool. I watched a couple of things that said like that there were some significant gains, but the, the thing that I always kind of recommend to people whenever they're asking me, should I, should I upgrade? Is it time to upgrade or whatever? The first question to ask is, are you having problems with what you currently have? Right. You know, like, are, are there, are there, do you need a solution or are you like fine kind of thing? Or are you, you know, biting into the, the cycle of things? And I kept sure. asking myself that question. I'm like, I don't, I really have no problems with my M1 Max. 100%. Like it's, it's working. I'm not throwing anything at it that it can't handle. Like all computers have little bugs and whatnot, but this, it just like, I don't, well, the other thing I don't is, need you know, it. <laughs> people care less about what you're using than you do. You know, like it, I think there can be this feeling of needing to keep up, but it's like, yeah. nobody's paying attention to what you, other than when you come on a, you know, other than me, like prying it out of you, yeah. like generally it's like, no, is it working? Great. That's, that's kind of it. Um, and yeah. along those lines, what, what's your phone situation right now? Uh, I did actually do the upgrade cycle this year. I got the, the 15 pro max, um, partially because I was, I was so interested in what was going on with Apple log and, and the, the video features and whether I could finally, I'm, I'm like a, a, what I call a big camera purist. I like my big camera, uh, sure. if I have an option, like if I, the only photos that really end up on my phone are like of receipts or like <laughs> things I need to send to my partner, you know, not like reminders. Creative. I, it is not a creative tool in, in almost any way. Uh, and I wondered if I could start using it kind of bridging that gap a little bit with on the video side anyway and it has already proven to be to be definitely a, a great tool with the apple log i still I'm, I'm maybe a bit of a control freak and i still need to be able to like grade it and feel like it's going to stand up against my other cameras and well which is totally fair but have you ended up actually using it in like yeah. final productions much because uh, a, a couple times I'm like advocating I mean, it like crazy, but it, there aren't that many shots that it's showed up yet. Uh, just a few. Yeah. Yeah. I, 
I have. I mean, keeping in mind that my final productions are my YouTube videos. So like, I don't, I don't do a lot of client work or anything like that. Um, so it, but yeah, I've definitely used it, uh, a couple of times in, in YouTube videos, just intercut with, with FX3 footage or whatever. And I mean, I made a couple of videos about it too. So obviously it got used in, in those as well, but it's really nice for, uh, I'm uh, because I talk about cameras in my videos, I'm so used to having to carry two cameras and two tripods so that I can show something going on in a camera. And it's so nice to be able to just whip out my phone, get, you know, B roll of whatever I'm doing at the time or like of the setup or whatever I'm trying to talk about without having to carry a whole nother professional body. Um, so that's kind of the main thing of where I've started using it. Yeah. That was kind of my main use case so far as well is, um, yeah, when I'm when I'm showing off what the main camera is doing, but I also just exactly. haven't done a ton of travel content since I've like a lot of my recent videos have been sitting at the desk, and I think that's the differentiator. It's, oh, well, and then I was also doing those videos talking about the Lumix, so those were mostly shot on the Lumix little iPhone. But yeah. um, I think next year, once I start doing st more stuff that's on the road, like I'm pretty happy to get way more like establishing shots, wide shots, um, you know, things that don't have any reason to have a blurry background. Like that's the difference. That's basically the whole difference. Like that's the only reason I won't be cho choosing the iPhone. A lot of the times like, well, I want the background to blur out. Like I want some yeah. lens characteristics that isn't going to be on a phone. That's yeah. when it'll matter. And the rest of the time, yeah, you know, I, I'm pretty comfortable with how that Apple log looks. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I'm, I'm the kind of person who, when I'm, when I'm shooting with my phone, I want it to just be like, my phone. Like I just want to pull it out, shoot something and then move on kind of thing. Yeah. Like something that's happening quickly or whatever. I don't want to have to slap a rig on it. Or if I'm going to go that far, if I'm going to use filters or any of that mm -hmm. kind of stuff, like I might as well just pull out my big camera. Cause it's all got that ready to go. Um, so, so I'm, mo I'm mostly there, but what does feel missing for me still is like a great solution for attaching storage and like just, you know, being able to quickly, um, write to something external because if I'm shooting YouTube video, it like my, my phone is already full all the time. Like yeah. I, I'm already struggling with file management. So, you know, shooting a lot of shooting any, uh, ProRes is, is just enormous. Yeah. And, um, are you using the, so, the black magic, uh, app at all yet? Uh, yeah, I have opinions. Uh, so we just did a fully, like a full YouTube social job the other day, or sorry, full, um, iPhone uh, social job the other day. It was like, everything was for TikTok and Instagram. So it was all shot on the phone and, you know, it was like dozens of models and like, it was like a proper production shoot, but just the phones, which is always yeah. like, which has been a big theme for me this year. Actually, we've done a lot less of the like big commercial stuff where the big camera comes out, like way more phone. Uh, I mean, it's, I've talked about it in the past, but this year it's been like, just like pronounced like really the, the most significant difference yet. Yeah. And, um, so the, what I find to be the problem with black magic is that you, um, it really start, it starts you off wherever you were last time, which sometimes has a lot of customization. So that worked great on this job. We'd like put it on a tripod and like, I have some time to think about the settings while people set up in front of me, just like a commercial shoot. That's all fine. In the regular world walking around, I find that like, I just need to like get a shot of the next thing and it is not as quick and intuitive to make settings changes on black magic as with a regular camera, or it's, it's easier to screw them up. 
Yeah. Um, and there's no way to just jump into auto mode like in the default camera app. So yeah. when I'm creating stuff for TikTok or Instagram, I'm like, well, most of the time I just need to like open my phone. Like the, the difference between the camera app and the Blackmagic camera app is that I just open it and it's already looking good. It's working. I don't need to do anything. Maybe just tap the screen and then yeah. it's like, it's great. But black magic, it's like, I always need to think like, oh, wait, I was inside last time I was shooting. So my white balance is wrong. Oh, I, yeah. I locked my exposure. So that's why it's so dark. Like th there can be five or six things that are like, oh, this just all looks wrong. Like everything's a bit off. Then I have to find those settings compared to the, the default camera. So I keep reaching for the camera app because the results look the same. You just lose yeah. the control. Um, so yeah. I would love to see black magic implement basically a button that's just like, Auto mode, like, auto go, button. Yeah, yeah. Just like look good. Do what the do the default. Um, yeah. What about you? Are you? I pretty it? much. I I pretty much leave the the black app, uh, black magic camera app in auto mode, so that every time I and I have it on my sure. my action button now, so it automatically opens up and yeah, it's ready here. to go into into black magic cam. But yeah, I'm using it mostly as an auto kind of thing. Um, right. so I'm not, I'm not as worried about it, but, and mostly well, the only reason that I actually use it is because it has the different compression options because you don't yes, have to shoot exactly. ProRes HQ or whatever. You can shoot in an H265, which still is 10 bit and still looks great as far as so the, uh, are you doing, I didn't actually do that yet. I didn't shoot the log H265. Is it work? Does yeah. that work? It had bugs yeah. when the, the, the app first came out, but it's fixed. Yeah, seemed to. I, I've never had any Great. issues with it, so cool. okay. it seems I'm to go fine, back to it. But, uh, and that's, yeah. I mean, going back to what you were saying about like your iPhones, like almost always maxed out on storage. It's like that's that makes such a huge difference because sure. if I were to open the the default camera app now and try and shoot log footage, it would probably tell me I've got like three minutes worth of footage because it's ProRes HQ, like just the, the largest file size. So I would love to see Apple give us uh, an update that has an option for still 10-bit, still uh, Apple log, but maybe an H.265 version in the, in the default camera app because everybody knows how to use it. It really is the easiest, like Obviously, I have other things that I would love them to give us too, but then we start to dip into the the category of of things like the Blackmagic camera app. Or I really need to get into Moments because I think they just they just updated theirs too to to give some options, but I haven't dove into it yet. Yeah, yeah, Moment is also solid. How about software? Um, what are you what are you using both in terms of photo and video most of the time? Uh, so photo is primarily Capture One with uh, a little bit of. Uh, Photoshop sprinkled in there. Generative fill is is such a huge thing, uh, and very, it's actually very been. <laughs> I can do a whole yeah. episode on it. Oh man, and it's and it's like beyond like how crazy you can get with it. It's also just like a really helpful tool as like not doing crazy things. No, with that's it. like that's all the exciting stuff. The crazy stuff is kind of boring to me because like okay, I yeah. tried it once. I'm never going to use it. It's the you know filling in wrinkles in clothing that or like. It can do things that I just wouldn't attempt to do in Photoshop most of the time. So I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't have time for this kind of a cloning project. Like, I'm just going to leave yeah. that random thing in the background. And now it's like, well, do I want to wait 10 seconds? If I, yeah. You know, and it'll do, yeah. a, mostly do a good job. Yeah, it's it's pretty wild. Like I was in uh when I was in New York for the the A93 launch, we went down to uh the the like classic Dumbo shot and with the the manhole cover in the front or whatever and like 
there were just people everywhere. And like, I would have just, normally I would have been like, okay, well it was busy. Like it's a crowd, whatever. Like, but I, I spent, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 minutes, like cloning out people with, with the generative fill. And it looks, yeah. it looks great. Like it's, well, it's one of my favorite photos. It changed a lot of how, cause so I deal with that all the time. We shoot when I'm shooting for my wife, Anya, she, you know, it's like travel influencer type stuff. So a lot of the time it's like, yeah, we want a clean background. It doesn't have to, don't have to pretend nobody was there, but like we don't want distractions of like tourists kind of hanging out. So what that meant a lot of the time is standing in one place for an hour, <laughs> you know, and like every five minutes, like, oh, it's kind of clear and we get like one or two shots and then people come back. Um, yeah. You know, and now I just feel so differently when we're taking those photos. I'm like, I can see all the people. I'm like, even when they're overlapping the side of her, I'm like, I know I can take them out. I, cause yeah. I'm always doing that math. Like I, for years, all the time I've had to be doing this. I'm like, I'm doing that math of like, how many people are there? How long will this photo take? If it's if the one or two and they're in a clean spot, I'm like, I can remove that myself. But if they get into somewhere complex, I'm like, okay, I don't want to spend that time. Let's not take the photo. Now I'm just so much more confident, like, no, just shoot, shoot it all. And we'll be able to fix it later. What I'm yeah. really waiting for. And I don't, I haven't been able to find any information Googling or even asking on Twitter is like the current generative fill is based on Firefly version one, which is pretty bad. Like if you generate an image from scratch with Firefly version one is like gross. Like it's, you know, it's last year, last year's generative uh, yeah. image stuff, which is like, ah, you know, you can tell what it's trying to do, but it looks fake and messy and crappy. And now Firefly 2, you tell it to create a human and, you know, it looks like on its way to mid-journey. It looks like very nice and believable and realistic, but that's yeah. not integrated into Photoshop yet. I'm like, oh, once that happens and we have like photorealistic generative fill, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, that's going to be a game changer. And again, like, I mean, like you said, it's those, it's those calculations that you're doing and the fact that it's changed how you shoot like it's changed the process of taking the photo because you know the tools that you can use later and so that's that's a big one for me uh lately i've been going going into photoshop to do that cleanup a lot more than i did you know the year before or whatever because it was kind of all of them were kind of the same you know you're using a healing brush or a cloning stamp kind of tool or whatever whether it's in capture one or whether it's in photoshop or in lightroom or whatever it was kind of all the same and it was like a pain and annoying and now it's just like it feels like this this no-brainer thing to like pull it over and pull it back if you have to like the round trip doesn't feel it doesn't feel like overkill anymore. It feels totally yeah. worth it. It saves you so much time. Um, what, what, and yeah, I've been, to... I've been considering Lightroom again for 2024. Right. It's got so many new tools now that it didn't have a year and a half ago when I tried Capture One or two years ago, maybe now. Yeah, I was, you know, a lot more on the fence with, I was going back and forth with Capture One um, more and more, but I was, I was also, I was also tethering quite a bit last year and the year before that for like, client stuff and there's been less of that this year more just shooting on location straight to card um and the it's not that i still prefer capture ones like colors and just like the mm -hmm. way it deals with an image i i prefer it all the time yeah but it's not mm -hmm. enough better to override the simplicity of of lightroom i still you know capture one released those new ai tools as well so they can do the selections and stuff so Mm -hmm. maybe it is a little bit equalized now, which I haven't used that version as much. 
Um, but I think it's, it, you know, it, it's just that I'm quicker in Lightroom, especially it's catalog system. I understand better and my capture catalogs were always kind of a mess. Um, so that's, what's kind of, that's the gravity that's kind of brought me back to using Lightroom more often now and yeah. treating capture one a bit more as an experiment. Um, yeah. and you know, I think it's gonna be tough capture one, the, the, the AI stuff, Adobe will inherently have a lead on that because they're so much bigger. So, yeah. uh, capture is going to have to work really hard to keep up in, in all those features. Yeah. There are really only, I mean, maybe two or three tools in capture one that are, are keeping me over there. Like I like the way that the layers work, but you can kind of mm -hmm. do that in, in Lightroom. Now, I think the, the, I like having layers that have all of the tools. I think that's kind of the big difference between the way that like layers or like masks work in Lightroom mm -hmm. versus how they work in Capture One is that you get you get a limited set of tools, but they're starting to expand those in in Lightroom. Uh and then the skin tone tool. I just absolutely right. love the skin tone tool. Uh and it's just so easy to use. Uh and then and then the foundational thing of like I think it does like the, the way that it processes images is just, just, just a hair better. And again, going back to what I was talking about with my a one, it's like, there's just something about it and I went in for it. So like, let's, let's go all the way, start to finish with that. Um, but you, you made a great point about Lightroom kind of being the catalog being a little bit easier to, to organize and stuff. And one of the nice things about capture one, if you can afford to, to have both is that capture one's great for its sessions workflow. So if you had like one specific project that you were like, you know what, this is a, this is a capture one project. It's built to be able to do that really nicely. Yeah. So I feel like I might almost start to lean. I'm already paying for Adobe Photoshop and Lightroom anyway. So I have them. Um, so I feel like I might start to lean towards that where it's like my big general catalog is Lightroom and then for the sessions for specific things that need the skin tone tool or whatever it happens to be, then maybe I'll go into capture one, but I, I'm, I've Actually, only started just toying with that in my mind, like in the last right. week. So my, my moving back and forth between them has, I mean, I have such a mess of catalogs. Like I don't have a uh, authoritative, like this is my photo catalog. Like I have so many, everything in the last 10 years has become like a mess. Cause I like, I don't know, it's not continuous and that is bad. <laughs> you gotta, I've got to, yeah. someday I've got to do the huge project to be like, okay, consolidate everything and organize it. Um, in some personal news though, I just canceled my, uh, all my full Adobe pack and yeah. brought it down to just the photography one. Cause I'd been paying the you know, it went from, I think when I started, I was paying like $60 a year and now it's up to 90. It's Canadian. Yeah. Um, yeah. and so this was the year I'm like, you know what? The, 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 I don't use a Adobe audition as much as I used to. I only open up InDesign a few times a year. I'm not using premiere. Uh, you know, I dropped it. So now I just, yeah. I'm saving like 60 bucks a month yeah. uh, and I just yeah. got Photoshop and Lightroom, but so far it's working out. That's where I'm at too. Yeah. I think for probably just, just over a year now, I made that, I made that call a little while ago. It didn't take long after I started, uh, started using resolve to, to know that I wasn't right. going to need premiere anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's get to that. I mean, I'm still shocked. Anybody is, uh, okay. If people already know premiere makes sense. You keep using what, you know, I get that momentum, but that anybody's yeah. starting off by like, I'm going to learn premiere. I just feel like the days of premiere being big 
have to be numbered with the way that resolve, you know, what it packs into a free package, let alone, mm -hmm. the, you know, even the studio version, if you, you know, you pay the money or you, you buy a camera and you get it for free. Like there is just yeah. so much value in there. Yeah, it's it's pretty wild. And yeah, the the free version I feel like has this with with all the new cameras coming out with 10-bit video, I feel like it maybe is less enticing cuz I think a lot of people are like, "Yay, free software." They get the free software, they realize it can't read any of the any of the well, files so, that they wait, shot. I was just talking to I was on the Pedal Pixel podcast and it was brought up uh, that's something um Chris mentioned. He's like, "Oh, the only downside is I can't do my 10-bit files." And in the comments and afterwards, I was like, no, wait, that's just on PC. Uh, the, the Mac version of the free Resolve does do 10-bit. Oh, that's, Let me yeah. confirm this. I mean, that's, okay, that's news I to like, me. But before when I make I... that definitive, <laughs> fill, fill in the blanks for a second here. I'm going to Google it. Yeah, my so when I first bought it, anyway, which was version 16, so a couple of years ago now, um, it was the within a couple of days I had run into some weird problems of not being able to open certain files. And at that time, not all the cameras had 10 bit on them. And I was like, what is going on here? I don't understand. Cause they just show up as like, you can pull in the audio, but it won't show the video. And that was, that was kind of one of the catalysts for me getting the studio version uh, among like I had, I had edited some other videos and like, it just was, it was so user-friendly and right. kind of, yeah, I mean, I had just I, come I off it, of a, if anybody does this seriously, just pay for the, I mean, it's yeah. totally worth it. It's not a big deal. And all of a sudden a lot of stuff opens up. Yeah. Well, and how much is it now? It's what, like 400 bucks or something like that. I, I don't know. I couldn't find the other results yeah. in Google either. So I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to jump out there and say numbers. <laughs> that I, I don't remember. But yeah, I mean, it's like, it's, you know, it's a reasonable price for a no upgrade cycle either you know compared yeah. to like capture one you kind of have to keep paying for upgrades more of a yep. like traditional software setup whereas with resolve mm -hmm. they haven't charged for anything yet so yeah i'm i'm so interested to know if that's how long that will continue how long that's a, a viable option because it's i don't know it's it's become i think a much more central part of what they do now I feel like at, at one mm. point the software was, it was like a color was grading a software. Yeah. Mm. But it was like they they were much more focused on their cameras and their switchers and their monitors and all that kind of stuff. Um, and now all of a sudden it's like, everybody's talking about it and they're upgrading regularly and stuff. So I wonder how long, cause I'm still getting free upgrades. I bought it a couple of years ago and I haven't had to pay for any of the, any of the updates and stuff, yeah. but Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what I always say uh, is basically like that, if you're going down the path of professional stuff, like resolve is the choice right now. And final cut, like the reason I stay on final cut is if speed is your priority, especially. So if you do a lot of social media stuff, final cuts, just like, I prefer the editing metaphor in there. It's faster. Um, yeah. The only thing that I, I don't talk about enough, but is underrated is just cap cut and also cap cut for desktop. Like, do you, do you use it on either the phone or have you ever tried the desktop app? Like, do, do you I, know? I played around with it on the phone a little bit, but I haven't really gone in on the, on the desktop yet. Just, just take a look at it sometime. Like even just like watch somebody else's video about it. It's yeah. actually kind of insane. If somebody only does social media videos, like it might be the best solution. It has more features than Final Cut does in a similar timeline, like kind of a magnetic-ish timeline. Um, it's actually surprisingly great and starts off yeah. as, a, as a free download. So uh, it's worth it's worth playing around with. 
you're not you're not the first person I've heard say that too. And like stuff like the uh I think the the last couple of times that I've opened CapCut was just to like throw subtitles on a video that was already edited. Like I yeah. edited it on my computer, send it over to my phone, slap it in CapCut and let but it do it, the auto generated subtitles. It's all that stuff that it can do better than I mean, you know, Resolve is is closer to being at the same place, but like yeah, the, all the subtitles are baked in right like you just hit a button mm-hmm. and they're like they display correctly and they do everything the way yeah. you'd expect green screen stuff where it's like the ai green screen um you know in final cut you have to buy third-party plugins there's magic mask in, in resolve which is the the best of them but um and then but there's also all these like stacked effects that are just like pre-designed in CapCut that none of the others would have where it's like oh it'll radiate out of your body and it'll what i you know just like interesting effects that people yeah. use like it's not it's they are novel but they are used often. So yeah. um, it's just like, yeah. it's worth checking out. Yeah, totally. And that's, I mean, that's a tough thing, I think, for those software, like Dissolve, or Dissolve, DaVinci Resolve has uh, has a bunch of built-in effects and stuff like that. I know uh, Final Cut does, I know Premiere does, but a lot of them are kind of like cheesy or like like they're not actually the ones that you want and most of the time it's because they go to like overboard with them kind of thing, or even mm-hmm. like the titles and stuff, like the animated titles are usually like too much. Whereas like you just want something like a little bit simpler or whatever. So, uh, and I noticed that about CapCut is like going through and like picking titles or subtitle, like fonts and stuff like that. It's just like right in front of you and it looks, yeah. it looks useful. So yeah, you, you've inspired you me. I definitely am going to dive in a little bit I mean, more. It just it starts from the perspective of like you're not a video editor. You just want you just want to get this done, and you don't want to learn software. And yeah. you know, Resolve is amazing, but it has the same approach of of Premiere that yeah. it's like, well, first learn everything. You know, jump over this huge hurdle, and there'll be yeah. a reward at the end. Whereas you know, CapCut's like we will always be a consumer, like a casual user company. We'll just make yeah. it really easy to get pro results without even understanding what you're doing, which is yeah, absolutely pretty pretty cool. And I think underrated, especially by prof- like professionals, will snub that kind of stuff because it's not because we want more. But when it comes yeah. to like recommending for other people, like it, I, I don't know. It's I, I think it's a little underrated. Totally. What, what what else you got? So now we're sort of into like open categories of like, are there just any like life accessories or or anything else that's either in your creative bag or, uh, in, you know, just day to day, a good, uh, beard trimmer or any, 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 <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, like I, I'm a big backpack guy. So like I am trying, I probably, I mean, the, I wish I could turn the camera around and show the other side of my studio right now. There's just a stack of bags over there right now. Um, but like the Shimoda just came out with the new urban explorer, uh, they just ran a Kickstarter for it and it's their, um, their Explore V2 bag basically, but a more kind of urban version of it, a little bit more daily carry. Well, can you spell uh, which, that? I actually don't, I don't, I don't have that brand. I don't use it. Shimoda. S H I M O D A. Uh, they're known for kind of more like adventure bags. It was one of the, one of the designers from F stop bags, mm-hmm. um, that went off and did his own thing and, they're uh, probably my my current favorite as far as like their whole lineup. Like I have some of their kind of more action oriented stuff, and then but this new bag is is kind of my my daily. I keep going back and forth to it uh, when I get new stuff in. 
uh, I always want, kind of want to go back to it. So that's that's usually a good sign that it's uh, it's going to stick around with me for a while. Um, well, if a bag can survive hikes in the west coast of BC, then you know it's a it's the place to test it. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It gets it gets tossed on the rocks and in the rain and all sorts of stuff. So, um, so I've been loving that lately. And then, like, I mean, little. I think the things that I love the most are like the little accessories and stuff. So, like, um, Falcam recently came out with a, a new like the Peak Design capture clip that goes on your backpack mm-hmm. strap or whatever. There are about a million copycats out there nowadays. Um, and I was using the PGY tech one for a while, yeah, uh, the beetle that. clip, they call it. And then, uh, Falcam just updated theirs and made it kind of even more, uh, it's kind of slim. It doesn't like dig into your shoulder as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they made it, this is the, the kind of big part about it is that they made it so that it'll fit. If you already have peak design base plates or PGY tech base plates or the Falcam F38, they, they have a whole ecosystem around that. It'll fit all of those plates, which nice. I'm sure this is like a weird YouTuber reviewer problem, oh no, but I have this is the biggest so problem. many different plates. Oh <laughs> I've been, I've been like meaning just to tweet about, like make a video about that. I just like, it's so frustrating to me that there are multiple Arca Swiss standards, like, you know, DJI, like the Ronin plates don't fit with, especially them. They're the worst culprits of it, I think, because they're yeah. big and they're not complying to the shapes and sizes of these standardized plates. So you, yeah. you've got a Manfrotto and it doesn't fit. Like the biggest brands selling the most of these aren't compatible yeah. of the same name of plate. Like the 501 plate from Manfrotto, same problem. Uh, it drives me crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, that's actually great to hear because my biggest complaint about the Peak Design one, which I mean, I use it like it's on everything all the time. I, like it drives me crazy yeah. when I don't have one. I prefer it over a camera strap a lot of the time. But yeah. it, um, it, I mean, it digs into me. If at the angle's wrong, it'll dig into my shoulder a lot. Or it'll yeah. bump around and scrape things around me as I take the bag on and off. It'll hit the door. It'll hit the table when I put it down. Like you've got to be aware of it all the time. And I think there's a lot of room to make that, like you say, slimmer sounds great. Like I try that out. I'd also like to see somebody build it out of softer materials where like there just aren't hard edges on it. Like maybe it has a, like a a rubber coating on the outside or just like things to acknowledge that this is outside of your bag and it's going to hit other objects. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and they've they've come close. The the back of it is now held together with a material that looks almost like the uh um the peak design like strap lock thing, like the 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 tether or whatever, that kind of material yep. that can supposedly hold like 90 kilograms or whatever. It looks like it's made out of that and that's the only thing that goes around the actual uh cam or the backpack strap itself which is is kind of cool so there's nothing nothing like actually against you like there's not a big bulky metal piece it's still metal on the front so it's uh it can like you said like you can smack it into walls and stuff like that but that one's or your that one's brand new like that that's one that stresses me out is like you flip your bag around to throw it in the door and you know smack your window or whatever on the way in yeah, absolutely. So I mean, that's uh, those. That's a good one. That's I'm, that's those so wait, kind of little things. With, is Falcam like so? There's Ulanzi is an Amazon brand I see all the time. They are 
Is it, are they like reselling Ulanzi or it is Ulanzi? So <laughs> they're, they're very connected. I think so. Ulanzi uses Falcam's F38 system in a lot of their stuff. And Falcam okay. seems to sell through Ulanzi. But I, I made this mistake. They, they reached out to me and asked if I wanted to try the, the new clip yeah. and stuff like that. And I was like, hey, like, yeah, can you send over the clip? And like, I lost my Ulanzi tripod, which is, is one of my favorite tripods uh, coming back from Mexico, because apparently I can't take uh, a tripod yeah. on a carry-on coming from Mexico. So they took oh, it I, anyway. So I, I do it all the time. When, That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I was, tell, it was, okay, it was a weird one, but yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, so then like Falcam hit me up and I was like, yeah, can you also, would you mind sending me another one of the newer tripods? They had updated it so I can check it out as well. And they're like, Hey, we're not, that's not us. <laughs> like they use our, they use our thing. So they are connected, but they're not exactly the same company. Um, that's very confusing, so like, but okay. <laughs> it, it is a little bit confusing. I think that Falcam makes the, the F38 system, which is like, there's, uh, that, that's the kind of Arca Swiss tripod plate type of thing. Then they have the F22 system, which is similar to a NATO rail. And then they have an F, 55 system which is more like a manfrotto what was it 502 like the the big bulky one yeah. kind of thing so they have like all these like and then they make cages and that have those systems on it and handles and all that kind of stuff and i think that ulanzi uses some of those standards in their products so they're kind yeah. of connected that way but yeah anyway so well, that's uh here's yeah. the big takeaway here's my recommendation everybody buy all your plates and your mounts from the same company as much as you possibly can. Cause once you yeah. realize like you're in the field and you're like using some random Arca plate that you're like, Oh, I just found this in the bottom of the bucket and it doesn't fit. It's super frustrating. And that happened to me yeah. more this year than in the past. I think maybe cause I just have gathered up more random pieces. They've started to like mismatch more often. And it just, yep. it's so, it's so like embarrassing too, with other people around you. Like if you're like on a shoot yeah. and they're like, what's, what are you doing? And you're like, I swear these are the same. These are supposed to be compatible. You're sitting there wrapping gaff tape around <laughs> yes, it. So it'll stay exactly. on the tripod and they're like, oh. Hey Tyler, what are you, uh, what are you up to? Yeah. bud?" <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. No, I had, yeah, I had a camera like go down. It didn't hit the ground, oh, but it, no. it moved. It, yeah. It, it fell a little distance and got caught, but, uh, because oh, of, because I just didn't notice the, the height of the bottom of the arca plate was like taller yeah. than the one that or whatever. Ugh, yeah. It was annoying. Yeah. So wild. Um, but yeah, you got anything else, anything else you're working on? You want to let us know about? I mean, just I'm getting ready for 2024. Um, I kind of winding down for the rest of this year nice. and going into, going into Christmas mode and then trying to figure out uh, what, what things are going to look like next year, trying to do uh, this creative differences series, uh, which is me, uh, editing photos with other photo editors, both editing the same photo and then, uh, and then taking a look at that. So kind of creating some more kind of serial or series series <laughs> like that on the YouTube channel so that, yeah. <laughs> so that people have something to kind of keep coming back to and just trying to, yeah. trying to keep doing it basically. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks for coming on. If anybody isn't following, it's done and did it everywhere. I think <laughs> everywhere. Thanks, you man. got it. <laughs> thanks for having me.